0: You guys still hear the noise? Nope. Uh-oh. No, I'm just joking. I don't hear anymore either. <laughs> all right. Well, let me uh, say a quick word of prayer for us so the, uh, we keep the squeaky noises at bay and we all stay focused. So let's, let's pray here just for a moment. Father in heaven, uh, you are good and amazing. You are a king and uh, you have looked on this day with anticipation. Uh, I believe, Father, that you have been preparing the hearts of everybody in the room And you've just been waiting, saying, oh, uh, if you can just make it to Sunday, I have something I want to say to you. I I have something I want to challenge in you. I I have something I want to heal in you. If you can just make it to Sunday. And so I'm so thankful, Father, for those who are here today. And I just pray for all of us that your peace would fall on us so that we can uh, hear from you. I pray that for myself as well. Father, I I I want to be calm In my spirit so that I can hear your words and I can say what what you once said uh, so that your plans and purposes are accomplished. Uh, We love you, Jesus, and uh, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm going to change things up a little bit. Um, We're going to talk about Matthew first. So I think Matthew sets the stage for everything else that we're going to talk about today. So if you're uh, reading along in your Bible, we're going to start in Matthew 8, uh, verses 18 through 22. And what I want to do first, I want to kind of set the scenario because I think the scenario is really important for our conversation today about next steps. Because if you remember uh, when, when Rick read Matthew 8, 18 through 22, uh, Jesus looked at the crowd and he said, let's go to the other side. And then right after that, it says a scribe came up to him and started talking to him. Okay, And when I first read that, I was first studying this, I thought that that conversation happened on the other side of the lake. That Jesus said, hey guys, let's go. And they went to the other side and then this random scribe showed up and started talking to them. And that is not the case. And that's an important point. And and I want to point that out. If you look at verse 23, if you're following along of Matthew 8. This is why it's important when you're reading and studying to always read a few verses before and a few verses afterwards. Because in verse 23, after all the conversation that we're going to talk about today, it says, And when he got in the boat... So, the conversation with the scribe and the conversation with the disciple happened before he got in the boat and went to the other side of the lake. That's important. Okay, that, that's, that's very important. And this is why. This is how I see this scenario playing out. Jesus hanging out with his bros, they're hanging out and talking, and he looks around the crowd and he says to everybody, says to his disciples, Hey, let's get out of here. And the scribe and the disciple said, Did Jesus say he's leaving? I gotta go talk to him about something real quick before he leaves. Okay? And that's significant because Jesus was about to take a next step. He was about to move in another direction. And the disciples that were going to continue to follow Jesus and be under his leadership were going to have to take a next step as well. And right before he takes that next step, he has a conversation with the scribe and with the disciple. And in my opinion, he just starts slaying excuses. And his sole focus in his conversation, Matthew 8, 18, 20, 22, is addressing excuses tied to taking a next step and following Jesus. So let's look at that, and we'll talk about it just for a little bit. Verse 18, Jesus talks about, let's go to the other side. And then a scribe came up to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I think in this conversation, on the surface, it looks really pretty impressive. The scribe says, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. But I think Jesus understood that maybe the scribe didn't fully acknowledge or wasn't fully aware of what he was making a commitment to. He essentially was making a blind commitment. He was saying, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, whoa, that's awesome. I'm I'm, I'm glad you're ready to commit, but I want you to understand. The road I walk is not comfortable. I don't have a place to lay my head. People a lot of times don't like me. I'm not very popular after I leave a certain city. I just want you to know that, that that's where I'm going and that's what I'm experiencing. So if you want to commit to that, let's go. But I want you to know in advance what you're committing to. So that way you don't get halfway down the road, halfway through the process of discipleship and then throw your hands up and say, I didn't know it was going to be this hard. I didn't know it was going to be like this, Jesus. So I'm going to go ahead and bow out and go home. I'm going to go ahead and stop here because it's more difficult than what I realized. Jesus wanted to address that blind commitment and say, if you're going to make a commitment, I want you to count the cost in advance and be fully aware of what you're committing to. And if that's what you want to commit to, then that's great. Let's go. But know in advance what your commitment is. Jesus is not interested in just blind commitments to follow him. Now let's look at the other verse. Uh, This one was a little bit more challenging for me because it comes across really harsh. And Jesus is harsh sometimes. This comes across as like extra harsh. And so uh, I think it's important that we talk about it. Verse 21, it says, And another disciple said to him, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Pretty harsh. Now, in the commentaries that I read and the study that I did, there was two scenarios. Was the disciple's father already dead or was he alive but was old and was going to die at some point? There were two two thoughts on that. And I tend to lean more towards the fact that the disciple's father had not yet passed away. And I think that because in the Jewish culture the responsibility of a son to bury his father was placed very high. It's a very high duty in the Jewish culture. And so in my mind if this disciple's father had already passed away, he would already be involved in the planning and the preparation to bury his father. He wouldn't be hanging out with Jesus and uh, you know, having a conversation. He would be neck deep in the plans and preparations for his father's funeral. So In my mind, what's going on is this disciple is offering an excuse of delayed obedience. This is how I see it playing out. He's walking up to Jesus and saying, hey, Jesus, man, you're awesome. Love to follow you. You're a great guy. I like all the miracles you do. But, you know, my dad's getting older. And so let's do this. Let me stay here. I want to follow you, but let me stay here right now. And when my father dies... And I bury him. After all that, then I'll come follow you. So he's wanting to offer delayed obedience. He wants to be obedient, but not quite right now. Let me give you a modern translation. I'll get back in church when the pastor preaches better. Not our pastor. I'll get back in church when they sing the hymns I like. I'll get back in church when they stop letting the youth pastor preach. Right? Right? I didn't get any amens in the first service. I'm glad I didn't get any amens in this service either. Or let me give you another scenario. I'll start reading my Bible when the kids get older. I'll start reading my Bible when I have more time. I'll join a small group if this person will start leading. Or I'll start joining a small group if this person will stop leading. Or I'll join a small group if they start studying the topics that I'm interested in. See, he's... This disciple was offering obedience, but in a delayed timeline. And I think we need to understand that to Jesus, delayed obedience is still disobedience. Delayed obedience is still disobedience. And Jesus is very upfront and he addresses that with his disciple. And then he kind of puts the nail in the coffin in verse 22. He says, follow me and leave the dead to bear their own dead. And, and, and this is what also leads me to think that the disciples father had not passed away yet because to me that would be very harsh on jesus's part and i think in scenarios where we see death we see jesus you know weeping and being comforting and so what i think jesus is trying to communicate here is make what brings life your first priority we get so caught up in making first priority all these things that draw stuff from us and take stuff out of us. We, we focus and make work our first priority, our schedule our first priority, uh, our kids' soccer games our first priority. We make all those things our first priority, and then if we come dragging in at the end of the day and we have an ounce of energy left, we read a couple of pieces of scripture and say a quick prayer and then go to bed. But Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, if you want to take those next steps with me, I need to be your first priority because I produce life. And through that, all these other things will have life as well. I have to be the first priority or you'll simply just waste away. And so we need to remember as we start this conversation or continue this conversation about next steps, that salvation is free. There is nothing you need to do. There's nothing you can do to earn salvation. Christ paid that price on the cross. But I think what we mistakenly do is we connect that free salvation with free discipleship. And that is not how it works. Salvation is free, but discipleship requires an investment on our part. It requires something of us. Salvation is free, but discipleship requires an investment. And that's what I want to talk to and talk about in 2 Peter verses 1. Let's go 3 through 5. I want to read it again for us. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his son's glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that... Through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. So I'm gonna wow you guys with some cuteness real quick, okay? Let's let's go ahead and put that picture up there. You know what I'm saying? Come on now. Come on. I mean, man. So this is Kara. This is my one-year-old. And in this picture, she was just kind of starting to learn how to walk. She had pulled up, and I was like, "Oh." <gasps> you know. There's about 50 of these on my phone, same picture. Um, I think Kara is an, an amazing analogy for who we are in Christ. See, when Kara was conceived and she was born, she was a new creation. is new, beautiful, amazing. Great job, Christine. Great job. <laughs> And she had everything she needed to be an operating human being on this earth. She had a brain. She had arms. She had legs. She had bones. She had muscles. She had vocal cords. She had a heart and lungs. She had everything she needed to be a human being. What she lacked is experience developing those gifts and putting them to good use. So what she had to do is observe the people around her. Say, oh, that's how you do that. I mean, literally, her mom and I would crawl around on the ground on our hands and knees so she could see what that looked like. And step by step, she would try to stand up. Well, first she would roll over. Let I me mean, get my head. You know, it doesn't happen that fast, college students. She would roll over. She'd sit up. And then she would crawl And then she might try to pull up on the couch, and then she might take a a little step, and then another step, and then very soon she'd be walking. And that's not the end. Obviously, she had to develop how to talk and all those things. But she had to put to good use the gifts that she already had been given by our Savior. And the same is very true for us. When we give our lives to Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says we are a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Bam, we're brand new. We are a new creation. And then if you read Colossians 2, and 9, it says that we are complete in Christ. So how can we be complete in Christ, but we got all this stuff that we have to do? Well, it's the same scenario. We're complete in the sense that we have everything we need to be a living, breathing, successful, growing disciple of Christ. We have everything we need access to to grow in godliness. What we lack is taking those gifts and developing them and putting them to good use. You see, discipleship requires an investment. And if we look at verse 5... Let's look at that together. We get a very clear understanding of what Peter means when he talks about an investment into discipleship. Verse five, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. And he goes on from there uh, your faith uh, by adding virtue, or virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly love, love, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Put forth effort in developing these gifts that you've been given by your savior so that they grow and so that you develop just like cara developed into a more operating human being peter is looking at us and saying we have to do the same thing see we have to realize that there is no such thing as discipleship by osmosis you can't just sit around a bunch of disciples and be like oh i'm just absorbing all this i'm just taking it in that might be a small part, but there is some effort that the Savior expects for you to put in. There's some next steps that he desires for you to take so that you develop and that you grow. And why? Why? I mean, we just look at Peter and be like, man, you, you didn't even have a job, bro. You like quit your job so you could do this thing. And here you're telling me to like put forth all this effort. Why? Don't you know I got two toddlers They can run away from me now, right? Here's why. I want, to give you, I want to give you three reasons that Peter answers that question. Why we should put forth the effort. Why we should make the investment of discipleship. And I'm going to jump around a little bit if you're reading along with me. Let's go to verse 4. By which he granted to us his precious and very great promise. And I put a box around. So that through them ye, you may become partakers of the divine nature have an escape from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire. So this effort that we put forth in developing and growing, this effort is allowing us and empowering us to take hold of the divine nature. In other words, it's empowering us to grow in godliness to better reflect the image of our Father. Just like Kara, as she develops, she'll look more and more like a normal human being. She'll look more and more like Christine and I. She'll walk and talk and eat and do all the normal things that a human does because she put forth effort. And the same is true for us. We must put forth effort so we can reflect and develop an image of godliness and escape the sinfulness that has corrupted this world. If if you want to escape the sins and temptations that you're battling, a key component of that is making an intentional commitment to invest in growing in the abilities and the gifts and the the, uh, blessings that Christ has given to us. Putting it to good use, prayer, the access you have to the Holy Spirit living within you, to make an investment to be a part of a community of believers. All of those things, putting forth an effort in developing those will empower you to reflect godliness and to escape the sinful nature. Let's go to the second one, verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing or are being developed, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that, that just speaks for itself. There's nothing more painful than for somebody to say, "Eh, you just didn't really get it done. I saw that you tried, but you were ineffective. You were unfruitful. I think most of us human beings, we want to make a difference. We want to make an impact. We want what we're doing to be worthwhile. And Peter's saying that putting forth that effort will ensure that we are fruitful and that we do take, make full use of what Christ has given to us. And I saved the most hurtful one for last, okay? So I have time to get out of here. If I hurt your feelings. Verse 9. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. See, when we get into a state where we think discipleship is free just like salvation is free, we become so caught up in our excuses not to invest that we... Become inwardly focused on ourselves. And if that goes on long enough, we'll get to the point to where we forget that there are other people around us, other people in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in our churches, in our families, that are desperately in need of the forgiveness and grace that we ourselves enjoy. We'll become blind, so nearsighted, so inwardly focused that we'll think, I got it, and that's good enough. That's a very ugly thing. We must continue to invest and develop so that we're always looking outward and we're always looking to the horizon. Who can receive this great gift that I have? Who can benefit from what I've already developed? Who can I share what I've been given? We have to remember that salvation is free. That's important. Salvation is absolutely free. But we can never forget the discipleship requires an investment. It requires something of you. And that's what I want to talk about next. If you have this connection card, if you'll pull that back out. I'll give you a second. I want to talk to you about some next steps, some small investments that you might be able to make. Cars at the back, if you didn't get one, he'll, he'll hook you up. I think that's what he was doing. Cool. I want you to look at this. And if you flip it over to the back, uh, there's some lines and blank space that say, uh, my next step today is. And I want to talk to you specifically about some small next steps. Because I think another excuse that we offer to Christ is, "Well, I'm just not ready. If I was a better Christian, I would, be a, I would, I would pray more. If I was a better Christian, I'd read the Bible more. That's another excuse. Because remember, Corinthians and Colossians say that we're complete and we have everything. But the reality is that we need development. I would not take Kara and say, all right, you're one, but it's time to get ready for track, right? Go, right? I wouldn't do that because she hasn't developed enough to, to use those gifts in that way. She has to take small steps and develop consistently over time. And that's what we need to do too. We need to make commitment to small steps. See, small steps over time add up to consistent Development. It's small steps over time. So I have some small steps I want you to consider. Will your next step be for the, for this week, between now and next Sunday, to read your Bible three times, at least? And you can read as much or as little as you want. If you've never read your Bible and you read three verses three times this week, that is a huge success. That's a great great investment. Okay. Um, Will your next step be praying silently three times this week? That one's mine. I get so busy, I forget to pray. So that one's one's my commitment this week is to pray silently three times. Or is your commitment, your next step, your investment this week uh, to join a grow group or Sunday school class? Make the commitment. Or at least make the commitment to visit one. Sit in on one. Make that commitment to give it a try. And so we're, I'm going to invite Rick back up uh, for, this, for the next part of the service. We're going to give you a chance to respond and, and have prayer.